This podcast contains adult material, bad language, and spoilers. When life gets you down, your car just won't start. Agony art. It's time for Agony Art. If you've reached a dead end, you're not sure what to do. Agony Art. Well, Agony Art is for you. At times life is grand, you've got the world in your hands. Then somehow you drop that ball. Drop that ball. Instead of watching it fall, give Agony Art a Welcome to Agony Art, the Agony Art podcast in which we try to solve your problems not by our own wisdom, but instead by telling you how those problems were solved in the great art of our age. Can you put some reverb on his voice when he says that? Oh, will, yeah. <laughs> or failing that, just by recommending books, films, and music for you to enjoy. My name is Carl. I'm our resident film fan, and I'm joined by Aaron, our bollocking book bastard. <laughs> Bollocking book bastard. <laughs> and Liam, our magnificent, magnanimous music mucus. <laughs> <laughs> Dripping out of the nostrils of rock. <laughs> what does, um, I'm not really sure I know what magnanimous means. Is that a good thing? I don't know, really. It's yeah, I think it means like generous. It's an oh, M okay. word. <laughs> M people. <laughs> They're here with me in our swanky studio in back, still in. For our third week, we've really outside our welcome, Liam's studio. Say hello, boys. Hello, hello. boys. <laughs> That's a Wonder Bra advert, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. From the 90s. From the 90s, yeah. <laughs> All 90s boys will remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Only 90s boys remember this. <laughs> now, before we begin, I want to make it very clear that we're, we're not really here to solve real problems. All our submissions are certified 100% trivial or fictional pickles from the pickles. And our advice should almost never be followed. We're really here to have fun. So if you're having a real hard time, please check out our website for guidance on who to turn to. That's agonyartpodcast.com. Now we've got that out of the way, let's get on with it. Here's our first problem of the day. I've been happily married for a number of years and we recently started some building work at our house. It's been a complete disaster and the stress has really taken its toll on our marriage. Everything turns into a raging row. Does this mean we can't handle pressure together and should call it quits? Do you know... Um, Big steps, isn't it? Have you heard of alliteration? Alliteration? Yeah. I've heard of it, yeah. yeah. Do you know I, went, it I went to school, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've only heard of a little alliteration. A little. So when Raging Row reminded me of um, Kill Bill, and I can't actually remember the alliteration, but... Um, have you seen Kill Bill? You've seen Kill Bill and Kill Bill 2, right? Yeah. Um, and in like um, in the beginning of Kill Bill 2, they talk about Kill Bill 1. And she says something like the movie critics called it a rollicking rampage of revenge or something. Yeah. And it's like, you can't say that in the film. <laughs> what movie critics? Like, yeah, I just hated it. I really hated it. I don't remember that bit. To you be not. No. She's driving. He's black I and white. I probably haven't seen as many seen it as many times as you have. Though. Probably not. Well, we talked about obsession last week. I suffer from it. <laughs> <laughs> have you boiled Uma Thurman's bunny? Uh, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's kick this one off with Aaron. Should we name the person first? Let's name her Uma. <laughs> Uma. Uma. Well, Uma. Maybe you need a bit of perspective. You're saying like we're arguing a bit because there's building work. Does this mean we can't handle pr pressure together and should call it quits? 
That's a big move, isn't it? Let's divorce because we're arguing over our building work. It's hugely building work is stressful. So I'm just going to give you a bit of perspective with Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf by Edward Albee. It's a play, first staged in 1962. It's about a middle-aged couple, Martha and George, who host a young couple, Nick and Honey, for drinks. And over the course of the evening, they reveal themselves to be desperately unhappy, arguing in front of their guests until they basically just leave out of disgust and pity. They try to humiliate each other. George fires a gun at Martha. Martha tries to sleep with Nick, the man from the younger couple who are visiting. Uh, And by the end of the play, it turns out that the son they've been talking about all night is actually just a fiction. They made him up when they found out that they were infertile years earlier. So... All very fucked up. And if you were their guests, it'd be like, oh, this is... Uh... Now, it sounds like a totally different situation and you might not have anything to learn from this. But one way you can look at it is if you're not arguing like that in front of your guests, trying to sleep with them while your husband sits downstairs, then you must still be doing something right. <laughs> like you haven't hit rock bottom yet. <laughs> and even if you are... Martha and George seem to have got it down to a routine. It's possible that they've been doing this for years. So it doesn't mean it it has to be over for you. It might be like a new phase in your marriage, one that's filled with bitterness, resentment, arguments in front of guests. You can have some fun with it. (laughs) Really enjoy that. Shoot a gun at her. Yeah, do you remember the argument years? Oh, such good times. Or you could actually watch or read the play, and as you notice all of these horrible things that they're doing to each other, maybe you'll have a revelation that you and your spouse are supposed to be together, and you know, no small home improvement project can tear you apart. Is there a reason you said revelation in an Australian accent? Revelation. Maybe you can have a fucking revelation, mate. Get some fucking perspective. Virgin Aaron. <laughs> 33-year-old Virgin Aaron. <laughs> Why are you doxing yourself again? <laughs> I'm the only 33 year old called Aaron in the whole. No, the only the 33 virgin. <laughs> I know exactly who it is now. Oh shit! That's really good, Aaron. That's good advice. That you was know. short, concise. Mm. How do you know it's bad unless you know what bad is? Mm. Mm. How do you know you're Jimi Hendrix if you don't argue with your wife in front of a guest <laughs> <laughs> while playing the guitar, sitting in your pit of a building work that's gone wrong? <laughs> I mean, I suppose it depends on the level of the row, isn't it? Because I'm pretty sure my mum and dad have argued every day for the last thirty odd years of their marriage, and they're doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> shotguns at each other. <laughs> yeah. So I read the phrase. Does this mean we can't handle pressure? And I've got a song in my head, and I just couldn't get it out. And in the end, I just had to roll with it. And before you say it, it's not roll with it by Oasis. Under pressure. <laughs> what Surface up, pressure. Exactly. Queen and David Bowie, 1981. Hit single, Under Pressure. A song that almost never was. Do you know why? Uh, Did they lose the tapes that they recorded it on? I don't think so. Well, Queen were recording their 1982 album Hot Space in Switzerland and just so happened that David Bowie was there too. Uh, So they had a few sessions together in the studio. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Bowie's in Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to buy Swiss chocolate. <laughs> so um, they had a few sessions together in the studio and that's how the song was born. And it started out as an improv, as a lot of those 
old c- collaborations did and that's quite evident in the songs there's like a lot of scatting at various points and <laughs> <laughs> um, bowie was only there because he was recording the title song for the 1982 film cat people the song brilliant if you don't know about the film, I would say... I'm guessing you don't know about the film from the looks on your faces. Is James Corden in it? Uh, no, I've never heard of it. Uh, it's based on a... Well, it's a remake, sorry, of a film from 1942. Uh, Wikipedia describes it as an erotic horror film about werecats. Was David Bowie in it? No, he just sang the theme tune. Watch out for the cat people. <laughs> <laughs> he only did the theme tune because... the Sorry, the title... Track, Did he write the theme tune, sing the theme tune? Well, the rest of the soundtrack was done by a friend of the show, Giorgio Moroda. Oh. We talked about him when we were talking about Electric Dreams. Yes. Oh, and we listened to him all the way down to the secret studio base we did. on the it was retreat. Good fun, wasn't it? We did secret studio base <laughs> that we had to defend. <laughs> yeah. So from rival podcasts, cat people wear cats. The premise is that they turn into a cat when they have sex with a human. God. And mm. the only way to turn back into a human is to kill someone. It's quite an, av- an avoidable pandemic, though, isn't it? That one, I think. I like, just don't have sex with cat people. How do you know who the cat people are, though? Mm, they walk amongst us. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine, what's a cat about? They look like a person. Why are they a cat? What's, what's like, the werewolf yeah. all about? Well, they turn into a werewolf. You, and if they bite you, you become a werewolf. And you know it's a werewolf. It looks like a wolf. Not during the day. Yeah, but they can't bite you during the day. You don't become a werewolf if... Them oh. in their human form by you. How do you know? Yeah. It's just general um, <laughs> lichen law. <laughs> <laughs> Me no lichen, the lichen law. <laughs> you got lichen it. <laughs> lichen it or lumping it. <laughs> anyway, cat people doesn't help, so let's let's move on from that. There's There's been some conflicting reports, though, of who wrote the famous bass line to Under Pressure. Vanilla Rice. Uh, well, interesting. Vanilla Ice apparently didn't get permission to use that sample. Uh, so there was, of course, a lawsuit. That's quite glaring, isn't it, that one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for the, as for the bass line, John Deacon said Bowie wrote it. Bowie said, I didn't write it. <laughs> and <laughs> the rest of the band were like, no, I think John Deacon wrote it. I thought we were quiet riot. <laughs> <laughs> There was uh, allegedly one point where they went off to dinner and when they came back, John Deacon couldn't remember how to play it and David Bowie had to remind him. Um, Can you um, be David Bowie reminding him how to play it? No, it doesn't go like that. It goes ding, diddle, lung, diddle, dung, dung. Anyway, back to the song. What's it actually about? It's about the pressures of daily life about how it can destroy relationships, about how hard living can be for the average person on the street. The lyrics even reference building work, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) I love that he slips in a sort of. Your extension is breaking. (laughs) Under pressure that brings a building down, splits a family in two, because they're arguing about the building. Oh my God, it is basically about this, isn't it? Puts people on streets. People on the streets. And quite unexpectedly... It also contains some lines that vaguely resemble advice. The first one, slightly less helpful, goes, Pray tomorrow gets me higher. So you could do a bit of praying. Not sure that's going to help. (laughs) Uh, But the final few lines of the song really emphasise the importance of keeping close with your loved ones during times where you're feeling this pressure. It goes, Can't we give ourselves one more chance? Why can't we give love that one more chance? Why can't we give love? Give love. 
Give love. Give love. Give love. Give love. Give love. Give love. Cause love's such an old fashioned word. And love dares you to care for the people on the edge of the night. And love dares you to change our way of caring about ourselves. Powerful stuff, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know this song as well as I thought I did, it I turns out. I understand the song as well as I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you don't give love, 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 Carl. Is that the right amount? You were really trying, weren't you? <laughs> I think it was, yeah. But, you know, and this is what you got to do. You've got to face that pressure united with your loved ones and you've got to give love one more chance. Dare yourself to change your way of caring about yourself under pressure. <laughs> that was beautiful, Liam. You could be a motivational speaker. Yeah. To these cat people. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the cats. <laughs> so, Carl, top that, bitch. So, oh, this, this one really hits home for me. Stabs me in the chest and jiggles the knife around. Oh. And then pulls it out. And then I'm fine. <laughs> One of those classic stabbings. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've I've, I've gone through building work, but we were quite. Um, I think my wife decided to like kind of not really get involved unless she had to, which probably put me under more pressure, but probably made it easier because we didn't like disagree because it was just like mm. like she 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 was on interior design and I was like dealing with the builders, but yeah, it worked really well and um, it was hellish. We didn't like it, but we got through it. Mm. And that's my example, me. <laughs> the film of my life. <laughs> but I went with a Marriage Story, which I've been meaning to talk about on this podcast quite a few times. Because it really gets me, this film. But it's a 2019 film directed by Noam Baumbach. Baumbach? Baumbach? <laughs> Noah Baumbach. Charlie, Adam Driver, and uh, Nicole, Scarlett Johansson. And it's what, do you know, if, if you don't think Scarlett Johansson's a good actress, then this is the film to watch. Because mm. she does, like, you know, play basic roles, like Black Widow and stuff. But... This is proper. This is like a theatre film. Like you can mm. see it on stage easily, and she's really good in there. Um, so they're married. They work together in New York. Um, Charlie's the theatre producer, and Nicole is in his play. And like Lauded is really good in it as well. So she gets a job in L.A. to pilot a new TV show, and their marriage seems fine when you first watch the film. But they are growing apart. There's not really a lot of. They don't really talk to each other anymore. The film opens with them a marriage counselor, but then the move kind of breaks it completely. Like they end up, they're amicable, but they realise the relationship's not going to work, like cross country essentially. And they start to think about divorce, but in an amicable way. Like just sign the paper and that's it. No lawyers. But um, Nicole gets a bit nervous and hires a lawyer, and she's a proper shark. It's uh, Laura Dern playing Nora, Nora the lawyer, not the explorer. That's Dora, anyway. <laughs> yeah, but later in life. <laughs> Her mum was Dora the Explorer. So, and then she's a bit of a shark, so she gets really aggressive and she wants, it's like, oh, you're entitled to this, 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 and this. It don't matter if you want to be amicable, this is what you owed. And she, uh, you should go for full custody. She's like, I don't want to go for full custody. I want Henry to see his uh, dad. Uh, so it kind of, kind of spirals out of control, really. And then um, Charlie's forced to get an aggressive lawyer to tackle her aggressive lawyer, and then they end up fighting through lawyers for things they didn't even want to fight about in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it just completely spirals out of control. Charlie, it turns out he was he had an affair with another actress in the theatre studio, uh, what do you call them, theatre studio? Theatre group? Theatre company. Yeah. Theatre company. And um, 
Charlie's lawyer accuses Nicole of being an alcoholic. So it gets really nasty. And it's obviously not good for Henry, the, the little boy, either. So um, the film culminates in like a, a scene, which is a completely theatre scene. The way you watch it is it's really good. In um, Charlie's apartment, where they start talking, let's just end this, come on. And then they end up arguing really violently. And then Charlie shouts that he wishes Nicole was dead and that he ruined her life, and then he punches a hole in the wall. And then he breaks down and he's like, what is going on? Why are we like this? It's ridiculous. So that actually makes them realise they need to just get this over with, and they end up with a fairly equal divorce. And um, the film ends with them being amicable. Charlie's at Nicole's parents' house. Henry's there, it's like a party. And he finds Henry in a bedroom, and he's reading a letter. And the letter is what Nicole wrote to Charlie. Um, they're reading these at the beginning of the film. And they went to marriage counselling and she said, write down, write a letter to each other explaining why you love each other. And Henry's reading this to his dad. And he starts crying. He's like, I'm like, you know, it's really nice. Like she's saying all the things she loves about him. And he wrote one for her as well. And um, he's, he kind of like, you don't really, you don't say it, but you get the idea that it's like, We've lost something here that we might we shouldn't have really lost. Mm. And so if they would have told each other these things at the beginning, they probably they might not have got divorced, but they might have got divorced, but at least they would have known that they have feelings for each other still and that uh, they've shared a lot of experiences and there are there is love there. So that's what my advice is really. Not maybe you don't need to definitely like write letters to each other, but I would remind each other why you're married and why you love each other in the first place. And this building work is a temporary thing. Unless you're gonna become property developers and live in the houses <laughs> like, you're not going to do it again very soon so that's one bit of pressure over you've rowed it's not been good but what's good about your relationship hang on to that and move forward i agree and that is an excellent film isn't it yeah it's great isn't it cried a lot the ending gets me re- like mm. writing about it made me kind of tear up a little bit it's really sad isn't mm. it unrequited love is like my worst thing it's because you suffered from it your whole marriage. There's nobody to love me. I've never been loved. <laughs> <laughs> All my love is unrequited. And if you're doubtful, even after me and Carl gushing over it and the performances of Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver, Adam Driver's an excellent actor, I think. It's got a 94% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Cricket, critic score. Mm. 85 audience score. It's good. Ranger came arranging to Old Town one fine day. The townsfolk came to meet him. They heard what he had to say. He said, I hear this town's got problems, some outlaws on the run. And I've come to solve these problems with my problem gun. Word soon got to these outlaws about a ranger new in town. And they soon came out of hiding to put this ranger down. They laughed when they first saw him beneath the high noon sun. But he soon stopped them from laughing with his problem gun. Problem gun. Problem gun. Yeah, the ranger solved their problems with his problem gun. Okay, we're moving on to problem two of the day. All my friends fucking love the rugby, and I can't stand it. It's all they talk about, and before meeting up, I spent all evening researching the latest results and news 
I nod along and pretend that I know what's going on, but I just can't do it anymore. Shall I come clean or worse, try and get into rugby? We um, all have a history of rugby, don't we? Rugby lads. Yeah, we went to a rugby school. Have you ever watched rugby for pleasure? I've watched rugby, but I don't know if I had pleasure watching it. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't experience pleasure. I only tend to watch it when somebody else wants to watch it, and I'm like, yeah, stick it on. Hmm. Yeah. Here's a hard choice. Would you rather watch a game of rugby or stick a cactus up your ass? (laughs) You're not a fan? (laughs) (laughs) It's cactus, I think, for me. (laughs) When I first read this problem, I missed the bit about staying up all night and researching the latest results. That sounds quite unhealthy. Yeah. He just wants to fit in with his friends, doesn't he? It's, uh, it is quite extreme, though. How many friends test their friends on the latest results? <laughs> you know, I'm a bit suspicious that you're not actually a fan, mate. How many what conversions were there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a bit like this with football sometimes, because I feel like there's a lot of men where it's like a go-to conversation topic. And yeah, but you can just say, how about that VAR decision, eh? <laughs> the trouble with Arsenal is they always try and walk it in the goal. <laughs> yeah. Um so has anyone got any advice for um Johnny Wilkinson Jones? Johnny Wilkinson Jones. J dubs. J dubs. I can give J dubs some advice. This kind of struck me as similar to the football problem we had in series two. Which was like saying along the lines of my husband loves the football and I can't stand it or something like that. Rewind. Rewind. Um, <laughs> I think my advice then was to give it a go and you might be surprised. Meat pie. Sausage roll. Come on, Come England. England. Give us a go. <laughs> but today I'm going to contradict my former advice. Don't give it a go. <laughs> I'm going to point you towards a TV show that came out in November 1978 and ran for a number of years. What number? Eight. Biker Grove. Uh, it's Baker called Grove. Different Strokes. You ever oh. seen Different Strokes? Is that the one where he goes, um, what are you talking about, Willis? Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, Gary Coleman and co. I love um, Gary Coleman in The Simpsons where he's a little security guard. I, I forgot about that. It's interesting because he actually worked as a security guard in real life. Uh, at a shopping centre after different strokes and I think we'll come back to that in a bit Um, always coming back to things (laughs) always coming back to things the theme tune for different strokes I don't know if you know it it was written by a man named Alan Thicke I know you want it I know you want it it's his dad no way (laughs) Thicke is his actual name yeah Robin Thicke he sounds thick Alan Thicke co-wrote It Takes Different Strokes the theme tune with Robin Thicke's mum Gloria Loring, who's also credited, and a chap named Al Burton. So the thing about different strokes is uh, the tabloid press like to say it's cursed because all of the child actors on it had pretty bad lives to some extent after they finished on different strokes. So Gary Coleman, we've just been talking about, he famously sued his parents over what he called a misappropriation of his trust fund and eventually filed for bankruptcy in 1999. Um, He had a lifelong kidney condition anyway that meant he was in pretty poor health and it also was one of the reasons why he was so short because it prevented him from growing apparently and they used that as a storyline on different strokes as well at one point. Uh, Like we just covered he ended up working as a security guard in a shopping centre and got a load of abuse from various people by all accounts. Uh, He got into trouble with the police a few times. He was convicted of assault at one point after punching a woman who he said was threatening him. Um, and he ended up dying at the age of 42. Oh, he's dead. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. He was in, I think, 2007, something like that. Mm-hmm. 
he had a seizure. He had seizures fairly often because of his condition, and he had a seizure and hit his head, and they, the kind of consequences of that ended up killing him. Is anyone wondering what this has to do with rugby? Or music. Or music. Hang on, I'm not finished. <laughs> so, it's, it's a long walk for a small glass of water, Liam. <laughs> as well as Gary Coleman, there was Dana Plato. Not oh, sure yeah, the ph- famous philosopher. <laughs> famous philosopher. <laughs> she, <laughs> Plato. Famous philosopher Plato played Kimberly in different strokes. <laughs> I really think this role is a philosopher role. Who can we get? She also had a lot of money troubles, as well as a drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, because of this, she was eventually made to give up custody of her son. She was also, she was also arrested a couple of times, once in 1991 for attempting to rob a video store with a pellet gun. And again in 1992 for forging a Valium prescription. In 1998, she was so desperate for work that she decided to do a different strokes-themed porn film. Oh, my God. Oh my and God. in 1999, at the age of 34, she died of a drug overdose. Jesus Christ. And Willis, Todd Bridges got addicted to cocaine. He also got arrested multiple times, once for attempting to kill a drug dealer, although he was cleared of that, and once for carrying a concealed weapon and possession of cocaine. And also once for ramming a car after he had a row with the other driver. But eventually, Willis cleared him, cleaned himself up and he now uses his experiences to help teach American school kids about why drugs are bad. So, what does this have to do with rugby? Well, back to the theme tune. The lyrics of this song are going to make my point for me here. And they say, Now, the world don't move to the beat of just one drum. What might be right for you may not be right for some. Put your finger up my bum. <laughs> they got different strokes. It takes different strokes. It takes different strokes to move the world. You don't need to be the same as everybody else. Johnny Wilkinson. J- Jones. Jones. <laughs> Junior Shabadoo. J-Dubs. <laughs> You should celebrate your differences. You should come clean and let them know that you don't really like rugby. And if they're really your friends, then they're not going to mind. And if they do mind, I think that's a good sign that you need to go off and find some different strokes of your own. Very nice. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) I like the digression into the fate of the cast of different strokes. They'll love rugby. And very little talk about the song. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got mine are rugby themed. And maybe I should have thought about the uh, actual nut of the problem. You're going to nut on the problem? <laughs> that will solve it. <laughs> um, first, firstly, I thought of, which I don't think everyone would think of, but is um, episode 15 of season four of Friends, the one with all the rugby. Oh, yeah. Red Ross. Red Ross! <laughs> yeah. So um, Emily, Ross's girlfriend, meets two of her pals from England in New York. And uh, they invite Ross to play rugby in the park the next day. Because, you know, do you know when you play rugby in the park with your mates? You know? It's all us Brits do. <laughs> yeah, we just love it, don't we? <laughs> and Ross doesn't know how to play. And he, at the beginning, he gets completely like annihilated by all these burly rugby lads. And then um, he says, uh, that's what he was um, alluding to. He goes, I'm going to have to go Red Ross. And I was like, what? He goes, you know, when I get really angry, Red Ross. And no one remembers it anyway. But Emily tells him about the weaknesses of all the players. Like, one's got... Like no testicles or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> Which is actually a strength in rugby, maybe. Can't get kicked in them. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <yeah. laughs> um, and so he uses that to his advantage and he kind of wins over the people. But I can't believe this one's called the one with all the rugby because it's the same episode as where Chandler moves to Yemen. <laughs> I'm going to Yemen. F- yeah, which is by far the more memorable thing, isn't it? 
Run. I'll write you every day. Yemen Road, Yemen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Yemen. Um, but anyway, that absolutely provides no help whatsoever. But there is a film that's rugby related and has a pretty good message, I would say. it's. I'm talking about, of course, 2009's Invictus, directed by Clint Eastwood. thought it was going to be that. Did you? Mm. That's the only rugby film. There were no know. rugby films. Yeah. No one's bothered making many a rugby film apart from Clint Eastwood. And really, it's about South Africa and Nelson Mandela. So, tight head prop, Nelson Mandela. Not <laughs> <laughs> um, so, it's kind of set in post-apartheid South Africa, where the country's trying to emerge as new. So, they've got the new flag, like the rainbow flag, representing people of different backgrounds. And they're really trying to push like a one South African kind of... Um, mentality but um, Nelson Mandela as new president attends a South Africa versus England friendly rugby match and notices South African black um, citizens booing South Africa and cheering England and he's like you know what I did that when I was in prison for 27 years as well I didn't like South African rugby team either Um, so he decides that the way one of the ways that they can unite in a country is by being good at rugby because they've been bad for the last few years because they've been battling internal strife so he um, has a chat with Francois Pinot Matt Damon and says Damon. Uh, oh and uh, Morgan Freeman plays Nelson Mandela so um, Nelson Mandela tries to encourage Francois Pinot to really unite the team because even the team isn't really united and they Francois Pinot makes the everyone learn the national anthem and they have to yell it at every game and really like rouse the supporters and it kind of works so no one expects them to do well so they beat Australia in their opening game and Australia are one of the big big boys of rugby and they beat France to get to the final against uh, the All Blacks and then they beat the All Blacks 15-2 in extra time to win the Rugby World Cup in 1995 so rugby unites unites the nation and brings it out of a troubled past into a new and bright future are you saying Johnny Wilkinson Jones could are you basically saying he should get into rugby like Nelson Mandela got South Africa back into rugby yeah I suppose so. I don't really <laughs> yeah. know. Is there any rugby film there is? <laughs> no, I would say that rugby's actually really fun to play. But yeah, so maybe why don't you, going back to the Friends episode, play with your boys in the park. And then maybe if you get into playing rugby, you might like watching it a little bit. Otherwise, I would say scrap it and just say I don't like rugby boys and mm. go and find some football friends. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say abandon your friends and find some new friends. I'd just be... Honest with your friends, I think you need to learn a bit about peer pressure. Do you think you can not say anything and just not talk about it anymore? You could probably do that, couldn't you? You could do, yeah. yeah. Then when they say, what do you think, Johnny Wilkinson-Jones? Because they full name him every time they're talking to him. <laughs> he could just say, oh, I'm not that into rugby, to be honest. It's a bit more difficult since he's been researching for these conversations <laughs> for all these years, but... At some point, you're going to have to be honest. He's not into it, but he knows everything about it. (laughs) (laughs) I think you need to learn a bit about peer pressure, Johnny. I mean, the rest of us learned that when we were at school. So I've got a children's book for you. It's called Nugget and Fang, Friends Forever or Snack Time (gasps) by Tammy Sauer and Michael Slack. Nugget is a minnow and Fang is a shark. And they're very good friends. Until on Nugget's first day at school... He learns that sharks eat minnows. And when Fang finds out, he gets very sad. He can't help being a shark. He doesn't want to eat his friend. 
He does everything he can to prove to Nugget that he's a good friend. He gets a Nugget tattoo, makes some presents, dances, sings, but nothing seems to work. Nugget is convinced that his, sh- his shark friend is going to eat him now because everyone at school has told him that sharks eat us until the school gets in trouble. And it turns out that what everyone told Nugget at school was wrong. Fang saves the day. If you're young enough not to know about peer pressure, Johnny Wilkinson Jones, then you shouldn't be listening to Agony Art. And if you're old enough to listen to Agony Art, but you don't know that you should never give in to peer pressure, then maybe it's time you went back to books like Nugget and Fang and learned that you don't need to love rugby to impress your friends. Stay true to yourself, you little nugget. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Again, I'm being brief, but... Yeah. It's only words, and words are all I have to take your heart away. I got um, really cool for the way I say nugget the other day. Nugget. Nugget. (laughs) (laughs) You know the second vowel is an E, not a U. (laughs) Nugget, cheeky nugget. <laughs> what about what about plummet? Plummet. Yeah, yeah you said that right. Plummet. Plummet. Oh, you said nugget. Like yogurt. <laughs> no, that's yogurt. <laughs> it's a cow. Yogurt. Yogurt. I say yogurt. 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 <laughs> what you have to say it three times. I say yogurt. 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 Don't you? <laughs> Can you help me with my problem? I think that it might be a long shot. My problem is you see that no one believes that I am not a robot. Executing procedure. Problem solving. On to problem toi. Problem toi? Pour vous? Je m'appelle. Je m'appelle problème toi. <laughs> In the navon. <laughs> you're very good at speaking European. <laughs> I speak pan-Europe. <laughs> we desperately need to redo our bathroom, but my wife wants to spend the money on a round-the-world trip and a new handbag. How do I make her see sense? Do you ever have money disagreements with your spouses? Like, uh, you know, one of you wants to spend the money on X and the other one wants to spend it on Y. And obviously it would have to be a large amount of money because you Who's can't spend Who's spending a large amount of money on eggs? Uh, people who work out a lot. Protein, isn't it? Oh, omelet, yeah. Big, big omelette lovers. Omelette. Omelette. <laughs> <laughs> um, not really. We just kind of just spend the money and bury our heads in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Carl's in £50,000 worth of debt. <laughs> I don't want to insult this pickle who wrote in with his pickle, but it's indicative of a relationship where you haven't talked about your attitudes towards money enough, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like, in most healthy relationships, I would say you're fairly on the same page about money. No, yeah, I think you are. I think it's more, it could also be that you want to live a certain way, but the kind of things are getting, like, if the bathroom didn't need redoing, you could probably buy your handbag go around the world. But it's like, oh, for fuck's sake, I really want to do that, but now I've got to do this. So mm. kind of not accepting the situation as it is, but it's always going to get better, you know. Once you're in the bathroom, hopefully you haven't got to do it for another 10 years, so. Yeah, you know? that is the thing, yeah, mm. prioritisation. Yeah. When I uh, did a talk on how banks work to our old secondary school, I have a mm. slide, a Venn diagram. Fancy that, eh? And it's got <laughs> a, bit of a And it's got um, a couple of circles. 
it's a, a want <laughs> want need matrix kind of thing. So you got well, I can't even remember, but you got want need don't need don't want. If you want it and need it, you have to buy it. It's number one priority. If you want it but don't need it, that's number three actually because need and don't want is probably number two. And then don't want don't need. Who cares? Mm. So and the answer is prioritize the the threes, isn't it? You got to buy the don't wants. You got to buy the don't wants and needs. Buy the wants and needs. I don't know. <laughs> Scrap the whole thing. You started so strong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm loving this Venn diagram that you've explained with words. I was wondering what happens, what happens when want overlaps with don't want. <laughs> it doesn't. You need to examine your. Oh, sorry. There's three circles. Want need. Don't. Oh, fuck's sake. Want, I'll... need, and just don't. <laughs> don't. Go to our website for a, a presentation on the want and need. Um, name for... the. Should we name... Well, the, so the writer wants to do right, do the right thing. Well, I know. It's because it's about money. I think it should be Martin. Martin After Lewis. Martin Lewis, yeah. Lunch Money Lewis. <laughs> That's what they call him. Lewis Capaldi. Money Martin. Lewis Capaldi. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'll kick off with this one. Mine's very simple, actually. And it, um, it kind of ties into what Aaron opened with. And now, I'm being a bit cheeky, but I'm the host, so I can be cheeky. I'm talking about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Which I spoke about, what, last week? I yeah, think. I think so. And That's I've also... Fine, though, oh, yeah, you've done it I've before, I've done though, Willy Wonka's you? Chocolate Factory. Oh, this is risky, isn't And it? also, I don't even know if the bit I want to talk about is in the film... But it's definitely in the book because I've read the chapter to my little boy <laughs> two nights ago. Oh my god, you're treading a real tightrope here. Yeah, this is almost of want and don't want. There's 75% <laughs> not allowed this uh, example, but I'm going to do it anyway. And um, it just kind of relates to how the Bucket family live. So they have a two room house, one bed, seven people Charlie's mum and dad, and his four grandparents. Um, the four grandparents share the bed, and everyone else kind of just sleeps on the floor basically they have money for nothing gigs for free (laughs) (laughs) so they eat cabbage stew every day and except on sundays they have double helpings which they all look forward to Mm. and they and they just live to survive basically it's pretty sad Mm. but they don't want charlie to go without so on his birthday they buy him a chocolate bar and he spends the first few days just sniffing it and not eating it. And then he spends, he eats it over the course of a few weeks to really savour it. So I think that's a really clear example of waiting for the things you really want and spending your money on the things you need at the at the time. Because Charlie doesn't get, he did, like in the book and the films, and like, he wants more chocolate, he craves it, but he doesn't, he does, he's not like a brat, he doesn't say, oh, I want this, and he doesn't like really argue about his, his existence either, so um, maybe you can either wait, and then it'll be all the sweeter, because you would have deserved it and done the right thing, or maybe if you have a little bit less of a good bathroom, a little shorter of a trip, and a bit less expensive handbag, you can do all the things. Oh, compromise. Mm. Mm. The big C word. £10 handbags from Primark. Exactly, you can do that, can't you? <laughs> so you compromise for us. Yeah, shall we compromise a <laughs> What about this then? <laughs> so that's my example. Would you rather compromise with someone 
or shove a cactus up your ass. <laughs> cactus again. <laughs> <laughs> always cactus. Never compromise. My motto in life is always shove cactuses up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and then ask questions after. <laughs> I agree, Carl. You do need to listen to each other. You need to talk it out and work it out because not doing so could have disastrous consequences as shown by Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. On a, in um, Ben and Holly, the children's show, they go on a picnic to the moon and um, Nanny Plum says, Sea of Tranquility? There's no beach. It's not a sea then, is it? <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Do you talk um, like that? So this isn't like that. <laughs> this is a time-jumping novel that was written during the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's got a lot of pandemic talk in it, as I'm sure a lot of the art produced during COVID-19 has. Uh, but that isn't really the focus of it. The focus is the simulation hypothesis. The idea that our existence is a simulated reality and that we're all living in it, convinced that it's real. Someone who works at the Time Institute, a time-travelling organisation in the 2400s, notices that historical documents from Three, I think, I actually read this one, so this is done <laughs> from memory. So this might all be incorrect. I'm more correct probably when I haven't read the book, because <laughs> that's when I have to look up the details. I think it's three different time periods, all centuries apart from each other, all appear to record the same incident, which is impossible because they were so far apart in time. And she theorises that this is caused by some kind of file corruption in the simulation we're living in. She's like... This could be proof that we're living in a simulation. She wants someone to go back and investigate these time periods so that we might finally be able to prove that our reality isn't what we think it is. And she tells all this to her brother just in conversation, but he immediately wants to volunteer as the time-travelling investigator. She says he can't, he shouldn't. Time-travelling is not for the faint-hearted. You shouldn't do it. She's done it before. She regretted. She's regretted it ever since. But he ignores his sister and signs up anyway. And then she tells him that if he really has to do it, he really can't change anything. He can't attempt to fix any problems or anything like that. Same as with all time-travelling stories. He must stay an observer. And a couple of the time periods he goes to involve pandemics. And under no circumstances should he warn anyone about their fate. First person he talks to when he goes back in time... He tells her that she's going to die. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> because she dies several days later of this pandemic that's going around. And it all unravels from there, obviously. In the end, it turns out, spoiler alert, skip ahead if you don't want to hear this, that actually all his time travelling and tampering with time is what caused the anomaly that started the whole thing. <laughs> so the whole thing is a... Paradox. Paradox. Point is that they were both right. Of course you don't meddle with time. Everybody knows that. It always has catastrophic consequences. But the brother, who's called Gaspary Jacques, <laughs> weird, is also right. How could you talk to someone knowing that they're going to die in three days and they have no idea about it and not warn them? You'd have to be a monster, wouldn't you? Like any person with a conscience would want to say to them, don't go to wherever you can. Oh, it's preventable, is it? Yeah, she okay. catches this right. uh, virus mm. a few days later. But because they did, didn't hear each other out and reach an agreement, they ended up causing a pime paradox. So, <laughs> did you say it on purpose? Snake! <laughs> <laughs> so, if you and your wife can't compromise, 
Just like Carl said, then you might also rip a hole in the time-space continuum. Don't risk it, talk it out. That's my message. And before we move on to, obviously, Liam's the only one who's got an example to give left. How would you two go about proving that we live or don't live in a simulation? The way they do it in a Doctor Who episode I saw is everybody thinks of a number and they all think of the same number because it's all using the same random seed and that's how they know they're uh, in a simulation. I reckon that would definitely work 100%. (laughs) (laughs) That's shit though because random number generators tend to... You can have more than one, can't you, at the same time with different numbers. It would be a shit simulation if you couldn't. (laughs) randomly generate more than one number at a time but who's to say the technology that's generating the simulation is as advanced as ours i reckon if we just all refused to move one day if like everyone on the planet well it's impossible to reach an agreement like this but (laughs) everyone just lays on the floor and stayed still all day the people run running the simulation would think it had crashed or something and turn it off and on again (laughs) (laughs) but you wouldn't really want everyone just glitches or we could all take blue pills and wake up in the real world. It'll either wake us up in the real world or Red we'll pills. all get erections. <laughs> what, if, what if we wake up in the real world all with erections? <laughs> Bonus. The re- Bonus. Bonus. <laughs> um, the real world is horny. <laughs> there's a lot about this online, though. I was reading up on it because of this episode. And there's all these... Some people are like, it's all a load of shit. Shut the fuck up, you idiots. But some people, you know, say they... It's also just a philosophical question. Like, if we are living in a simulation, we don't want to find out that we are, basically, because if we know about it, they might turn it off because they'll be like, oh, they know it's a simulation now. Let's just turn it off. I've seen the the probability argument, which is something like, if people are simulating realities, then they're probably going to be simulating lots and lots and lots of them. So it's more likely that we're in a simulation than... The real world, if there yeah. are simulations. But we don't know if they are. <laughs> but if there are. Well, that's the thing. Does it really matter? I was like, going to say, it kind of is a simulation anyway. Like, well, there's all things exactly. you've got to do. Like, it's, it's, the, it's a rat race, isn't it? Life is a game. Old chum. Come <laughs> join the... Yeah, exactly. They pay paradise <laughs> to put up a parking lot, don't they? <laughs> so. <laughs> no, you're right. It's like, it doesn't really matter. It wouldn't change life, would it? It's not like, unless it was like the Matrix where you could unplug yourself. We find would, out would there's you a want simulation. It, really? so. Well, exactly. If it was like the Matrix on the outside, yeah. I'd be like, I'm all right. Thank yeah. you. It's I'm a bit more comfortable in this world than it is in Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. Zion. <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, there's still enjoyment to be had, isn't there? Yeah. I still have happy times. Shoving cactuses up your ass. Yeah, it's prickly. <laughs> but if they did turn off simulation, it would give us the opportunity to go, not like this. <laughs> uh, tank, I need an exit. Um, but is the is the inference that we're outside the simulation or we are just the simulation or we're not real? Yeah, so they turn us off, we it. just cease to exist. Yeah. Okay, that's the. Don't matter either way. It's just fucking life, isn't it? Yeah. When we die, we cease to exist. So, uh, do you reckon the listeners are thinking, "Are this lot high?" <laughs> man, this... I'm, I mean, I swear, man. I saw a portal, man, and it was saying, was... "Come through me." Oh, life is like a simulation, man. You just gotta <sighs> just like deal with it, man. Just simulate. <laughs> well. Speaking of people who sound like they're high. <laughs> what you were just going to say. Speaking of people, my example is... <laughs> uh, when I read this problem, 
I'm going to be honest, first thing I thought was, why would you not want to go on a round-the-world trip? In a balloon. If someone said to me, you can either shit in a shack for a year and travel around the world, or have a nice new bathroom but stay at home, I'd take the shack any day. Yeah? Yeah, I definitely would. But they say we desperately need to redo our bathroom. That sounds like something doesn't work, doesn't it? Like, would you want to live with a broken toilet for a year? Keeps backing up. If it meant I got to go on a trip around the world, I think I'd put up with it. In my day, we used to have outside toilets. (laughs) Liam is an old, old woman. (laughs) (laughs) So, money Martin Lewis Capaldi, if that is your real name. (laughs) I'm not going to help you convince your wife out of what sounds like, frankly, a very good idea. There's a lot of amazing places in the world to visit. And the name music, three. The music industry agrees with me. I can name many. Pop quiz asshole. Though, for you, I'm going to flip that question back on you. Sancho Panza. <laughs> How many songs about Sancho Panza can you name? <laughs> How many songs? No more heroes. Strangled. <laughs> about places in the world, can you name? Um, when you say about, does it have to be in the name or? No, not necessarily. Just... The song has to be about it to some extent. There's uh, nine million bicycles in Beijing. That's a fact. Yeah. Um, um, Rotterdam or anywhere. Liverpool, Rome. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um. There's the night away. She's all like, LA to New York. Oh, oh yeah, any bit of <laughs> song. <laughs> you were saying tonight we're going to get on the floor. The floor, that's a place. <laughs> <laughs> the floor is a place in the world. You can't deny it. Uh, a long haired lover from Liverpool. <laughs> yep, Liverpool again. Liverpool comes up quite a lot, actually. Is it? Uh, we already spoke a bit about Surfing USA a London few calling. episodes back London Calling. We spoke about that is as well, Is this the way to we? Amarillo? Where is Amarillo? Not sure. Texas. Probably in Texas. Yeah. Um, Africa, Toto. Exactly. What a tune. Have you stopped the pop quiz because you're starting to talk again and you haven't told us to stop? <laughs> you haven't well, told you... us our score. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a pop quiz. It's not a game show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did well. Well done. Now let me talk. <laughs> China in her hand. <laughs> I'm not sure it's that about the country about China, China being in someone's hand. But there is um, China Girl by David Bowie, which yeah. kind of counts, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, I was going to say, we, we already spoke about Surfing USA a few episodes back. That's about Turning Japanese, I really think. <laughs> American boy, Estelle. <laughs> yeah, about a boy from America. Yeah. Good way, girl. Go, yeah, very good. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> you carry on, sorry, go on. So we, <laughs> we already spoke about surfing USA a few episodes back. How many times are we going to say that? And there's about 15 travel destinations there that you can go surfing in. So why not pick some of them? Manic Street Preachers in 1996 had a song called Australia from their album Everything Must Go. If I remember rightly, it was used by the Australian Tourism Board. There's nothing like Australia. Not that one. <laughs> if you tolerate this. Australia will be next. Wallabies, wallabies, wallabies. <laughs> it was really about how they wanted to get as far away from media attention as possible after their friend and fellow bandmate Richie Edwards disappeared. But we'll go into that another time. Uh, there's Columbia, Me Encanto from Disney's Encanto, yeah. which is a great song. Columbia! Exactly. Uh, <laughs> a wonderful celebration of Colombian culture. The lyrics are in Spanish, but roughly translate to uh, Colombia. I love you so much. I keep falling for your charm. Colombia sounds like a great place. You could go there. A lot of the um, scenery in Encanto is based on real places. Like, do you know, like the pink like, water like lake thing mm. they go to? That's, like, that's actually real as well. Mm. It's mm. like magic. a lovely place. And, yeah. Based on real magic? Yeah, yeah. family Madrigal. They're there. They live there, yeah. 
<laughs> and who can forget the ITV theme tune for the FIFA World Cup 2010? Biker Grove. What? <laughs> 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 I'm talking about When You Come Back by Vusi Malasela. Do you remember it? It was the one that went, Sing, sing, Africa. Sing, sing, Africa. It was well good. No. I don't remember. I remember Canaan waving flag from that song. That was better. That was the official World Cup. It was not better. No, that was the official World Cup song. No, you're wrong. <laughs> Shakira, waka waka. Indeed. Mm. I mean, yeah, so when you come back by Vusi Malazela, really upbeat tune, beautiful harmonies, driving drums. You can't help but move to it. And when he sings, our lost African music will become the music of the people, you can't help but believe him. Oh, it's beautiful. Sweden by the Divine Comedy. One of my... Favourite acts and great song. Born in the USA, Springsteen. Bob Dylan had a song called Mozambique about how great Mozambique is. The list goes on. And this is my advice. Listen to your wife. Make a playlist of all these songs. Get excited and have the time of your life. And redo the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) While you listen to the playlist. No, shit in a shack. (laughs) Okay, well, that was interesting, Liam. Thank you. A list of songs with place names in it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Didn't even mention the handbag. Handbags and the glad rags. <laughs> so um, on that note, we're ending today's episode. And what was your favourite art of the day, Aaron, that you've mentioned? Oh, shit. This always comes as a surprise, doesn't it? Even though we <laughs> created this podcast and, <laughs> and made the rules. the content, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Oh, I guess it would have to be Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. I didn't think it was amazing, though. <laughs> I just thought it was all right. Liam? Um, why not Encanto? Great soundtrack. Love the music. Worth watching for that alone. Toxic family in Encanto, though, aren't they? <laughs> Real toxic mm. bastards. Mine's going to be Marriage Story. Give that a whack. Oh, yeah. Great film. Out. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Check the episode notes or agonyartpodcast.com to find links to all the media we mentioned today. And for a link to the Agony Art Spotify playlist, which Liam is still running. If you have a problem you'd like to, to attempt to solve, you can reach us on our group Instagram and Twitter accounts at Agony Art Podcast or on the submissions page on our website. I'd like to thank our resident Agony Arts for their contributions. Thanks, Leo. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Aaron. Wow. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more problems to muddle our way through and more entertainment for y'all to check out. See ya. Bye. Bye. But I'd suggest keep it light Cause their advice can be shite And they won't be held liable Oh no, not at all Not here But Agony Art Agony Art Agony Wait, that's a different song. Be the Bee Gees or bang the Bee Gees. <laughs>